Good evening, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 15, verse 19. I suppose I could go up a touch more. I'm a, it's very touchy, poor Titus. I, there you go. It's probably where it was before, right? But, you know, usually what they have is they have, when you have like, they have like sliders, and you have, when you're like in a studio or something where you're doing sound at a, at a rock concert, they have these sliders, and they go to the certain number of mar- thing you mark. It's all, actually, it's all digital now. So it's pretty easy. You could set it by computer, and it goes right to that that number of volume that you want. But when you, you know, the room changes, you know, depending on the people in it, it'll change. So you have to watch out with that. All right, uh, you should be at Romans chapter 15, verse 18. Romans chapter 15, verse 18. And uh, we're going to uh, finish off verse 19 here this evening, Romans 15, 19. We're going to see where Paul uh, talks about the fact that he, he proclaimed the gospel from Jerusalem to Illyricum. And uh, all the Roman provinces within that uh, geographical distance. And so that is uh, quite a, a distance. Paul, it actually covers about 14, 1,500 miles, that distance. Of course, he probably did more than that because he, when he talks about going from uh, Jerusalem to Illyricum, that's, he's not just talking in one straight shot. He was going in and out of those provinces, starting planting churches, as we'll see. And then he would be moving on. Once he planted the church and established the church there, he would then move on. Then he'd write letters to these people to see how they were doing, to instruct them, and also send guys like Timothy as his emissary, or Titus, or Epaphroditus, or whatever. He'd send Tychicus. He'd send those guys in there to make sure that they were okay. So um, we're going to see uh, this evening that uh, Paul talking about this. Make sure you shut this up, because all I need is my mother to call me while I'm teaching. That would be really embarrassing. 
and she's been known to do that. You put your, your, your cell phones on silent, because if, if, I, if I left mine on, you know what would happen? My mother would call me in the middle of teaching, you know, and I'm not going to answer it, obviously. But, uh, gosh, that would be funny, huh? She did one time. I had it on silent. I was like, buzzing. So I looked at it. It was my mother. I was like, she knows I'm teaching. You ever do that with your mother and you say, Ma, I'm teaching Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at, you know, 7 to 8, which would be your time, blah, blah. And she's known this for nine years. And then she goes, you having class tonight? It's like, oh. <laughs> Unbelievable. They don't listen sometimes, you know. But anyways, then again, this is payback because I never listen to her half the time. So. That's the way it goes, right? All right, it should be Romans 15, 18, and uh, let's take that moment of silent prayer. Remember, this is a very, very important time, and if we're out of fellowship with God, and that means we're harboring any known sin, and we have mental attitude sins, we can pick up a lot of garbage in the world, we can be faced with different stressful situations and difficulties which could cause us to get out of fellowship with God. So that's why we always make sure that before we hear the teaching of the Word of God, before I teach, before you listen to it, that we take a few moments of silent prayer. Well, we're going to have privacy because we'll have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. And we can, at that time, confess the sin to the Father if necessary. Applying 1 John 1, 9, which states, If we confess our sins to the Father, He, God the Father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins with the result that He purifies us from each and every wrongdoing. Paul calls it judging the body rightly in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And if you don't, you'll be under discipline uh, you'll have uh, intensive discipline, di- uh, warning discipline, intensive discipline, and dying discipline. The sin and the death, God takes you home because you spend most, you spend the majority of your time out of fellowship with God. You're habitually out of fellowship with God. Now, once you do that, that just restores you to fellowship. You've got to maintain that fellowship by obeying the Word of God, listening to what the Spirit says and obeying it. That's when you're obeying the command of Ephesians 5.18. And then uh, that, that is actually that whole process of being filled with the Spirit meaning submitting to what the Spirit says to you in the Word of God, is described for us in Romans 8, verses 5 and 6. We studied that in detail. So this is very important, because if you don't know how to be filled with the Spirit, you're never going to learn anything. You're never going to grow to maturity. Because that's spirituality. That's spirituality, being obedient, listening to the Spirit, hearing His voice, and then obeying what He has to say. Taking it on faith, and your faith is manifested by obedience. So... If there's anything that's disturbing and distracting to you, do what 1 Peter 5, 7 says. Cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for you. So in the privacy of our very own royal priesthood, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this day that you've given us, another beautiful day here in the state of Iowa. We thank you, Father, for creation and that we can enjoy it and experience it. We thank you for the body, the body you've given us, the souls, the, the mental capacity to, to uh, rationalize, think rationally and, and form concepts and ideas and to understand what your word has to say to us. We thank you for all the logistical grace blessings that you've given us, the food, shelter, and clothing. Housing, we thank you, Father, for the Word of God, and we thank you for the teaching of the Word of God and the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father, for gracing us out and treating us in a manner that we don't deserve. And we truly didn't deserve anything, Father. We were your enemies. We were enslaved to the sin nature and the sev- uh, Satan and his cosmic system. Yet you sent your Son to the cross while we were yet your enemies. You sacrificed him, and you operated in that love that is unique to you, to you and is part of your character and nature. We thank you for that fact that your love is not only impersonal, meaning you loved us while we were were your enemies, but also was self-sacrificial. And thank you for giving us the great example through your son of self-sacrificial love. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit and his gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and also raising us up and seating us with your son while we were yet your enemies. What a great thing that you've done for us, and we cannot express our gratitude enough. And we thank you, Father, for uh, this uh, building to meet here on a consistent basis and the individual's who will be raised up in this ministry, 
that are serious about the Word of God. And we thank you for those who are in the chapel this evening that have taken time out from their days and consider it important to hear the Word of God. We thank you for them, and not only those in the chapel, but also those who might be a part of our extended congregation that are listening on Pal Talk at this time, or will listen to the class or view the class at a later date on the website. And we just pray, Father, for all of us in this ministry, that we would continue to grow in love toward each other, and that we would operate in love and grace toward each other, remembering how you have dealt with us through your Son in love and grace, so that we might bring glory to you, Father. So, Father, we also pray this evening that you would help those in the audience to concentrate. We pray that nobody in the audience would do anything that's disturbing or distracting to those who are serious students of the Word of God. Help them to be sensitive to the Spirit's guidance and direction and help them to uh, make proper application. We also pray that you would help the communicator to deliver your full counsel to your people so that they are nourished, that they receive their spiritual nourishment, and that they would continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Father, we pray for these things in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, Sunday morning we began a study of Romans fifteen nineteen, And in this passage, the Apostle Paul writes that through the power of the Spirit, Christ performs signs and wonders among the Gentiles through Paul. Now, this evening, we're going to complete our study of this verse by noting that Paul writes that he proclaimed the gospel from Jerusalem to Illyricum. And Illyricum was a Roman province, and that was the extent to which his ministry reached. Now, as we're going to start to see, Paul is going to explain what his ministry, his his, uh, apostleship to the Gentiles was all about. Remember, he was an apostle, and he didn't stay in one particular location for very long. Because God had led him, the Lord Jesus Christ had commissioned him, as we'll see in Acts... He commissioned him to go to the Gentiles, to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And his ministry, as we'll see, was to plant churches. So if he went to a place like Corinth, the city of Corinth, he would plant a church there. He would evangelize the area there and then establish a church there. And then he would, uh, as I said before, he would move on to the next place. And as in those places that he already touched, he would send communications by a, a, a carrier and, and his emissaries like Timothy or T- Epaphroditus or Tychicus and Titus to uh, check out if everything was going smoothly in these places, these places that he established churches in, they would, uh, of course, they would have their a vote for their own pastors. Men with a gift to pass the teacher would manifest their gift to the congregation, and they would be, be taught by these men like the Roman believers were, as we saw. So this is what Paul did, and he didn't stay in one place very long, and uh, he, which is different from a pastor. Um, a lot of times pastors stay in one location or maybe a whole, you know, like, for instance, Bob Thiem stayed in his location for about 50 years. and But some pastors, they, they go for, God leads them to a certain location for, you know, 10 years or 20 years, and then they move on, as God is, uh, has, has decided to move some people on. But Paul, he was always on the move. He was always on the go, unlike pastors today, where they stay in one location many times for an extended period of time. And so uh, Paul is going to give, continue to describe his ministry to us as an apostle to the Gentiles. Look at Romans 15, uh, 15, 18. For I will not presume, Paul says, to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. Now he's going to describe further, uh, specifically, what he means by that last prepositional phrase, by word and deed. What do you mean, Paul? Well, verse 19, he says, and the power of signs and wonders... And remember the signs there, the word there is talking about the sign, uh, the, the, the gift of miracles from the perspective that it was a confirmation that Paul was spoke as an apostle of Jesus Christ, that he was sent by him and as delegated, uh, he was delegated authority. That's what they did to establish the th- fact that they spoke from God. It was designed these miracles that Paul performed, that the Lord performed through Paul among the Gentiles to get the Gentiles to listen to their message. The miracle would catch their sign. If he healed somebody, that would catch everybody's eye, of course, and then he would give them their message. That's the difference between the apostles and these so-called uh, individuals who, pretend, who uh, contend or uh, say that they are faith healers. And no, men are not be, uh, being used by God to heal anybody. God heals, but he doesn't use uh, men like pastors and, uh, like uh, Paul anymore because those gifts were given to establish the man's authority. And then once Paul, had, his authority had been established... 
he didn't have the gift anymore. He didn't, couldn't heal anybody anymore. Uh, Epaphroditus in uh, Philippians chapter 2, he almost died and Paul couldn't heal him. Timothy, he couldn't heal him of his stomach ailments. He tells Timothy, take some little wine with your meal to, to deal with your stomach problems. So Paul, he, could, he, he lost that ability to heal people because his authority as an apostle had already been established. So he says, in the power of signs and wonders, wonders talks about the supernatural character of these miracles that the Lord Jesus Christ performed through Paul among the Gentiles by the power of the Spirit. And then he says, in the power of the Spirit this was done. So this is the secret to his ministry. Remember Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a life of timidity and fear, but of of, uh, of uh, power and discipline and love. So he goes on to say, so that from Jerusalem, in verse 19, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Now that last phrase, the purpose clause, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel, that presents the results of Christ working through Paul by the power of the Spirit in his ministry to the Gentiles. Now, in Romans 15, verses 18 and 19, and actually the first statement in verse 19, Paul has identified for us the source and agent of his work as an apostle to the Gentiles, namely Christ himself. And the principle is true with any believer in full-time Christian service. He is this, we know that the Spirit is working through an individual by the fruit that is manifested in the individual, in his ministry. And we know that Christ and the power of the Spirit is working through any man because of the fruit of the man's ministry. Like Paul, people were saved through his ministry. People grew to spiritual maturity. They grew in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That was a manifestation that Christ was working and the Spirit was working through Paul. And the same holds true with the pastor. His fruit of his ministry, those who were saved through his ministry, those who grew up to spiritual maturity through his ministry, those who grew in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ through the man's ministry, are, are a sign, are a manifestation that Christ was working through the man, and so was the Spirit. So in Romans fifteen eighteen and the A part, of the first statement in verse 19, Paul has identified for us the source and agent of his work as an apostle to the Gentiles, namely Christ himself. He also identifies the purpose of this work as an apostle, apostle, which was to what? To bring about Gentile obedience. This was very important. Paul was not sent to the Jews specifically, though he would touch, he would go to the Jews. He would go to the Jew first and then to the, to the Gentile. But he would go to the Jew first because they have a historical salvation priority. Salvation is of the Jews. And Jesus, this Messiah, was a Jew. And the promises of salvation through the covenant promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the new covenant promises through Jeremiah, were all given to the Jews. The covenants came to the Jews directly, and the Gentiles benefit from these covenants. But they would go to the Jews first, and then go to the Gentiles. And this is, this is what Paul would do. But his ministry was primarily concentrating, as I said before, on church planning in Gentile regions. Regions where there were Gentiles, which is, of course, if there's Jews and then there's Gentiles. Now... Lastly, Paul described the means he employed to accomplish this work as an apostle to the Gentiles. What was that? Namely, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit. Nobody, what Paul understood is that he could do nothing without the power of the Holy Spirit. He could not, and we saw it Sunday, uh, not only could he not, he not fulfill his ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles without the Holy Spirit and Christ working through him, but also he could not deal with his adversities unless he was dependent upon the power of the Spirit. And that was what got him through all of his, 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 his uh, trials and tribulations and suffering, undeserved suffering. It was the Spirit that carried him through there. And also, what allowed him to have the success that he had as a, as a servant of the gospel, a servant of Christ Jesus on behalf of the, the Gentiles, was, of course, the Holy Spirit. Now, when he says, if you look at verse 19 again, please. He says, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about, as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. From Jerusalem denotes that the city of Jerusalem was the geographical starting point of Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. A little typo there, not starting point, a steering point, but starting point. So from Jerusalem denotes that the city of Jerusalem was the geographical starting point 
of Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. Now, there's some conjecture about this whole statement, and what does Paul mean by that? Because if you read the the, the book of Acts, Paul starts evangelizing uh, in Damascus, Syria, okay, where he got knocked off his high horse and got saved. Well, so therefore there's a lot of confusion. Why does Paul say from Jerusalem to Illyricum? Because actually he started proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles, uh, or actually the Greek-speaking Jews, while he was in the city of Damascus in Syria. Well, we would expect, as I said before, to identify Antioch, Syria, as the beginning of his ministry to the Gentiles. Many scholars contend that Paul is not thinking geographically when he mentions Jerusalem as the starting point of his ministry, but rather he uses this city people to note to denote the starting point of Christianity. Christianity. That's what some scholars contend that Paul's, when he says from Jerusalem to Illyricum, they're saying he's saying that because he's identifying the starting point of Christianity. This doesn't correspond, however, to the fact that Paul specifically mentions a specific geographical location, Illyricum, as the extent to which his ministry reached. Now also, some cite Acts 9, verses 26 through 30, along with Acts 26, 20, as evidence that Paul is referring to his own ministry in Jerusalem, but this has problems as well, because for the simple fact that Paul does not mention in these verses that he ministered to the Gentiles, but rather, it says in those verses that he ministered to Greek-speaking Jews. And in Romans 15, 19, he's talking about teaching the Gentiles the gospel, presenting the gospel to them. In Acts chapter 22, verses 17 through 21, that passage gives us the answer. In that passage, which we'll go to in a moment, Paul reveals that immediately after getting saved, becoming a Christian, he came back to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple and he fell into a trance when the Lord Jesus Christ told him to leave Jerusalem and that he would send him far away to the Gentiles. And that's a very... So, so what we see here, the, uh, uh, that Cranfield, one of the great uh, expositors of the book of Romans, he's a great teacher, he knows Romans inside out, and I learned a lot from him. Cranfield rejects this idea, saying that Paul actually began his work as an apostle in Damascus, which is, of course, true. However, what he fails to see is the issue in Romans fifteen nineteen is not when Paul began proclaiming the gospel, but rather where, where geographically he considered his ministry to the Gentiles to have begun, which was when the Lord told him to leave Jerusalem and go to the Gentiles, as, as recorded in Acts twenty two twenty one. So look at Acts, cha- hold your place, look at Acts chapter 22, please, and look at verse 1. You got Romans, before Romans, you get Acts. Acts chapter 22, verse 1. Now, in Acts chapter 22, we're going to see, we're going to see Paul, the setting of this passage, is in, he's in Jerusalem, and what he's doing here in Jerusalem is actually connected to what Paul says later on in the book of Romans, where he talks about, he says in, he says in Romans, I think it's, uh, let's see, Romans chapter 15, he, he says that he has to deliver a gift he says, in, he says uh, in verse 22, Romans 15, 22, you can just listen to what I say unless you already held your place. He says, for this reason I have often been prevented from coming to you, Romans, but now with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing, and to be helped on my way there by you when I first enjoyed your company uh, for a while. But now I'm going to Jerusalem, serving the saints for Macedonia and Achaia, have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor Jews among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, and they have, they are indebted to to minister to them also in material things. So Acts chapter 22, where you're at now, that's the scene. He has delivered the gift from the Gentile churches, which was quite a task. He took a collection among the Gentile churches in Macedonia, in Achaia, and he, what he did is he brought this gift that was monetary, it was material, because the people in Jer- the G- believers in Jerusalem who were Jewish 
were suffering greatly because of persecution. They were kicked out of the synagogues. They were abandoned by their own people. And they were betrayed by their own people and killed by their own people because they became Christians. They believed in Jesus Christ. So they lost everything. So Paul, and the Gent- Paul got this idea with the Gentile churches, will show our solidarity, solidarity with these Jewish believers and to, as a symbol and a token of unity, we'll give them a gift. We'll give them a, a gift and we'll say, here it is, and this shows their love for, uh, for the Jews. The Gentile believers giving this gift through Paul. Uh, Paul wants to deliver this gift and that would demonstrate to the Jewish believers that these Gentile believers love them. See, they, he, he's saying that the gift would express, the, the Gentile gift to the Jews would express the Gentile believers' love for the Jewish believers. It was an expression of love giving. That's how Paul looked at it. So he's there. And now he's delivered the gift, and now all kinds of problems take place. People, they don't want him there. This was basically his kind of his hometown, Jerusalem. He was the top celebrity in Jerusalem. Everybody knew who Saul of Tarsus was. He was the great celebrity in Judaism at the time. And now he betrayed Judaism in the eyes of many Jews. He betrayed the temple. He betrayed the law. And now he's gone because he became a Christian. He followed after Jesus of Nazareth. And he was a, a strident follower of Jesus Christ. So this is the setting we have where the Lord tells, Peter, uh, tells Paul... No, I don't want you here anymore. I want you to go. I want you to go to the Gentiles. I'll send you far away from Jerusalem. That's what he says. So look at it. Says in, in Acts chapter twenty-two, verse one, brethren and fathers. He's talking to the Jews. They just tried to kill him, and the Roman guard came in to save his butt because they were going. The, the, the mob was going to kill him. Brethren, and so he's given to give a defense to these people. Brethren, fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect. They became even more quiet, and he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel. That's the greatest theologian of his time among the Jews. And to sit under him was quite a big thing. It would be like getting a master's theology degree at Dallas Theological Seminary or Schaefer Theological Seminary, one of those. So he says, or at Trinity. He says, he says this, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus, Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. I persecuted this way, before they called them Christians, they were called the way, followers of the way, to the death I did this, binding and putting both men and women into prisons. So also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify from them, I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus, which is Syria, north of, Jerusalem, north of Israel, in order to bring the, even those who were there in Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. But it happened that as I was on my way, approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So he's persecuting Christians, and when you persecute Christians, you're persecuting Jesus. That's why anytime you have a problem with a Christian, your best bet is to shut up. Because if you go after a Christian, and you malign another Christian, and you lie about another Christian, and you go fight with another Christian, you're doing it to Jesus. Okay? Be very, very careful. So there we see Saul saying, uh, Jesus, this is his conversion experience, Paul. Now look what he says in verse 8. And I answered... Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me saw the light, to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, get up and go on into Damascus, and there you will be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. But since I could not see, because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. A certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken of all by the Jews who lived there, came to me. And standing near, he said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very time, I looked up at him. And he said, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one, Christ, and to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized. Notice that he's already saved. He tells them to get baptized, and they would use water baptism as a, uh, as a, a symbol 
of, or a testimony of their conversion to Christianity. It also taught positional truth. When you got dipped under the water, that taught that you died when were buried with Christ. Taken out of the water, you were raised with Christ. We taught that. We saw this in the Book of Romans, Romans six. We taught that. Now he goes on to say, and people say, um, you know, is there something wrong with pe- baptizing people in water? There's nothing baptizing people. There's nothing wrong with that, as long as you know that you can't get saved by getting baptized in water. Bible doesn't teach that. But if you want to demonstrate publicly that through water baptism that you're a Christian, well, you know, that, there's nothing wrong with that. If a church decides to do that, what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. It's not a, taught against it. Paul did a few, few of them, not a lot. Jesus never baptized anybody in water. So look at it goes on to say in verse, look at verse 15. For you will be a witness for him, Christ, to all, all men of, of, of what you have seen and heard. Now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I fell into a trance. And I saw him saying to me, make haste, get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. He couldn't stay there. And Jesus said, don't, you, I don't want you there because they're going to kill you. That's why he wanted him out of town. He didn't want him to hang around and, you know, he, he said, I want you out of here because they won't accept your testimony. Now look at what he says in verse 19. And I said, Lord... They themselves understand that in one synagogue after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your witness, Stephen, was being shed, I was also standing by approving and watching out for the coats of those who were slaying him. And as we've said in the past, I believe that, 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 that uh, way t- uh, Stephen died, his testimony affected the Apostle Paul. I think that was one of the things that built up to Paul's conversion to Christianity. The Lord used that particular martyrdom of Stephen to make a big impact on Paul. And then that was planting the seed for his conversion. Look at verse 21. And then look what he says, which is related to our passage. Where did Paul, when he says, from Jerusalem to Illyricum, I fully preached the gospel. What does he mean by that in Romans 15, 19? That's where he got his commission to go to the Gentiles. He got it in the city of Jerusalem. And he said to me, go, for I will send you, he says, far away to the Gentiles. Now, go back to Romans fifteen nineteen. Romans fifteen nineteen. he says, in the power of signs and wonders and the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and around about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So when he mentions Jew- Jerusalem, that's the starting point of his ministry from the perspective of when he got his commission to go to the Gentiles. It's not where he started preaching the gospel. It's where God, uh, where, where the Lord said, Lord Jesus Christ said, I want you to go to the Gentiles. He didn't get that until, uh, as, as recorded in Acts chapter 22. And in that passage, he's talking about something that happened earlier in his life, obviously. But he said, I want you to go to the Gentiles. That's when he got his commission. That's what Paul means when he mentions from Jerusalem and roundabout as Illyricum, I fully preached the gospel. He's saying, that's where I started my ministry. That's when I got my commission to go to the Gentiles. Now, roundabout as uh, far as uh, Illyricum, oh, actually, let me show you the, the, uh, the, the city of Jerusalem first. Uh, let me, I had a picture in here. Uh, right here, uh, that's pretty dark up there, but um, if you have your note, class notes, you probably... Um, can see it really good. But this is a, the aerial view from the north of Jerusalem. And if you notice that uh, they don't have mountains. You know, a lot of times they mention the mountains of Jerusalem, but that in the, in the Hebrew or, the, or the, uh, the New Testament, that's basically, we would consider these things hills. But this area, see that little golden thing right in the middle? That's where a lot of baloney is going on in the world today. That's called the Dome of the Rock. It's a Muslim mosque, and it's on the area called the Temple Mount. In Jerusalem, this is the Temple Mount area. That means they believe that Solomon's temple was there. They found archaeology has found that the remnants of that temple, and also Herod's temple was built on this this area. So the third temple, which we talked about, the, the Millennial Temple and uh, the Tribulation Temple, these they, they believe they they think it's in this area somewhere. So the question is, where is that temple going to be built? Well, we don't know for sure where it's going to be exactly built because they don't know exactly the location uh, where the other temples were. So, But we do know that today a Jew cannot pray up in this area 
because he's been prohibited to by law because of the, the, the agreement that the Israelites made, Israel made with the superpowers in 1967 that the Jews can't go up to the Temple Mount to appease the, the, uh, the Arabs and the, the, uh, the, those who are um, followers of uh, Muhammad and Islam. So this is, this is Jerusalem and it's a, this is where it's all about. This is where the world is all gonna, where it's all gonna end, where Christ is gonna come back. This is the, the, this magnificent city and the city that J- Jesus uh, walked is way down below. If the ancient cities, they're, they're, they were destroyed, built, destroyed, built upon ruins after ruins. So the, street that, the streets that Jesus walked and the apostles are very much way under, maybe 20, 30 feet under the present Jerusalem. And that's a fact. So it's, it's not, uh, what we see here is not really the Jerusalem that Jesus walked. It was down below because they're built on the ruins of this particular city, which has been destroyed several times and rebuilt. So there's the picture of Jerusalem. That's where it all started. And that area where the Temple Mount is already, this this whole area here, that is the area where Paul, he was in the Herodian Temple, and he got his commission from the Lord Jesus Christ to go to the Gentiles, to give them the gospel. Why? Because the Jews would not accept Paul's testimony. They could not hear him. They hated him, and Jesus knew that, so he, of course, and he sent him far, far away. Now, when he says roundabout as far as Illyricum, Illyricum, what's Illyricum? Illyricum was a Roman province in northwestern Balkan Peninsula. You ever hear of the Balkans where they had in the 90s, uh, the, the whole thing going on over there with uh, Milosevic, I think his name was, and they had, we, Clinton sent the military in there in the 90s to take care of that situation. They were doing ethnic cleansing there. That's the area that, that we're talking about, Illyricum. Illyricum was a Roman province. The United States has states, Canada has provinces, and Rome did as, they had provinces as well, like Canada does. Now, Illyricum was a Roman province in the northwestern Balkan Peninsula, stretching along the eastern coasts of the Adriatic Sea to the borders of Italy, to Macedonia, and inland as far as the Danube. Now, today, this area, people, corresponds to the modern northern Albania, much of Yugoslavia, and of course, uh, Bosnia. Now, let me back up here because the phrase roundabout as far as Illyricum is composed of several words in the, in the original. We have the adverb of place, kiklo, which is translated here, roundabout. And then we have the, the preposition mekri, which is translated as far as in your Bibles. And then we have ilithakon, which is, trans, is uh, actually the Greek word for Illyricum, which we see in our text. Now, the adverb uh, kiklo, this word means around, and it refer, it's very important we, we pay attention to this, because Paul didn't write in English, and the English translations don't exactly tell us the full details of what Paul did. That's why we go back to the original language, and I know some people don't, might not like that, but that's what the text the Holy Spirit inspired. He didn't in- in- inspire the King James, he didn't inspire the New American Standard, or the Net Bible, or the ESV, or any English translation. He, he inspired the original text, and no translation is perfect. That's why you should have several translations, and if you don't know the original language, that's, see, God gave us the gift to pass the teacher, so I could pull these things out. Okay, And it's very bad when a pastor works off the King James or just works off the New American Standard and doesn't go back to the original language because he's not doing his job. He's not doing his job. And there's no reason why he can't do his job because there's so many tools today available for a Bible teacher. There's no excuse not having understanding the Hebrew and the Greek if you apply yourself. So the adverb there, kiklo, means around. And it, referring, it was referring to all directions from a point of reference indicating that Paul took a circuitous a circuitous route and that his journey was not a direct one. So that means he was going here and there and here and there. I'll show you on the map in a minute. So the, the word does not mean that Paul's travels were in an arc or a circle, indicating that he went from Jerusalem and a circle round about it. But rather the word speaks of a circuitous route, indicating he went from Jerusalem and a circuitous manner to Illyricum. That's what it means. Now, the preposition mekri is employed with the genitive form of that v- word that's translated Illyricum, and it means as far as, and it, it functions as a marker of extension up to a point in an area, indicating that Paul's ministry to the Gentiles extended from Jerusalem as far as Illyricum. Now, the Ignatian Way was a great road in the Roman Empire. See, what Paul did, he didn't have modern travel. 
luxuries. He didn't have planes. He didn't have cars. So travel was very difficult. It was really good in the Roman Empire by ancient world standards. One of the reasons why Christ came into the world when he did, when Rome was the superpower, and why it was because Rome did a lot to enhance travel, which was very important because God was going to use these Roman roads to evangelize, send his men, like Paul and Timothy, around the Roman Empire and evangelize the Roman Empire, the known world at that time. The Roman roads were the instrument that God used. So the Ignatian Way was a great, great travel uh, uh, highway. It passed through Illyricum on its way from the Adriatic coast to Macedonia. Thus, it would not be beyond the realm of possibility to think that Paul would have passed through the southern regions of Illyricum during his third missionary journey, since he preferred well-traveled Roman roads. Paul went to the people. He would like to go into large uh, areas, population areas. He wouldn't, like for instance, if Paul, he wouldn't stop in a country place like Norway. He would not stop here. He would go to the big cities in Iowa. That would, he would go to Des Moines. He would stop. He would stop over in Cedar Rapids, maybe, and he would go to Iowa City because that's where the concentra- highest concentration of people were. Then he evangelized, and then from those Christians would evangelize from that starting point. So then, let's say Paul stopped in, in Des Moines, and then he would evangelize, start a church there, and then what would happen is those Christians there in Des Moines would reach out to the rest of Iowa. They would go out. Meanwhile, Paul had to keep going. He had to go hit and run, and he had to do that because he wanted to cover as much territory as he could. He wanted to cover as much territory as he could and to reach as many people as he could with the gospel. Now, let me give you a map on the board. And this is the map of the, the spread. It's actually from the, uh, the Logos Library, which I would definitely recommend any man who thinks he has the gift to pass the teacher and any person who's really serious about Bible study because it has, it's a tremendous program. And if you go to the website, uh, www.logos.com, uh, L-O-G-O-S.com, and I'll tell you right now, they got great deals because uh, they know guys like us pastors are on a limited budget, so they let you buy these things. Uh, you know, you can throw so much money down, like thirty or forty bucks down, buy this program, and they let you download the. They'll give you the download the program to your to your computer via the internet, and you can still they'll still give it to you even though you haven't finished paying off the particular item. So they obviously are really great for guys in the ministry because we all know, that, uh, because all because they know that this company knows that pastors are on a limited, limited budget and they have to watch what they do with their finances. So this particular program, is I get this map here, and it's a map of the, of the spread of Christianity during the first and second centuries. Now, I have an arrow there, as you can see, and I have in the right, if you go to, uh, uh, in the, uh, the bottom of the, the particular map, you have the Sahara Desert, and then, of course, you have Egypt, and then off to the, to the east of that, you get the Arabian Desert, and to the, uh, to the west of the Arabian Desert, you have what we call Jerusalem there. There's where the arrow starts. Now, Paul, what he did is he went all the way across to the west. He went, he went all these areas, but he went, let's say, go up to Syria, go north of Jerusalem. He goes up to Syria. He goes to Cappadocia. He went over here to uh, 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 Thrace. He went over to Macedonia, where the Philippians were. He went to Dacia. He went over to Illyricum. That's the extent of his ministry. And Illyricum is just so, uh, north of uh, Italy, northeast of uh, Italy. So that's where he went. But see, he went a whole, he didn't go a straight shot right across the Mediterranean Sea. He went up all around here to the north, then started going west and hit all those provinces. He went on foot, he went on donkey, probably went on horseback. Any old way he could get going, he did it. And he, that, if you did, uh, let me see if I can get this. I have a, a thing in this program, it's pretty amazing what this thing can do. Let's say we'll take biblical places and let's take, Jeru- uh, let's take Jerusalem here. Uh, let's say, let's Lyricum. Hold on one sec. Okay. Now, let me blow this up here. Okay, now here's Paul down here. Now, if I control there, notice the you see the miles coming out there. 
So here, this is where he, he's going to go all the way up here, past Macedonia. He ends up going, I mean, he ends up going, let's see, let's back this down. I'll shrink it a little further. Okay. Hello? Hello? Hold on. There we go. Okay, here we go. He's past Macedonia. This is, this is Illyricum up here. See how the miles, it's calculating the miles for you? It's like 1,400 miles, which is kind of interesting because that's the distance. It's pretty much, I did the distance from Massachusetts or Fall River where I came from all the way out to uh, Iowa, Cedar Rapids. It's about that distance. So that's what Paul did. He covered all that, all that ground. And, um, but however, the, the thing with that is he didn't just do a straight shot here. He traveled all the, he must have did, he must have did much more than 1,400 miles because he's going all the way through these areas. He's going back and forth. And when he says as far as a roundabout, that phrase roundabout, that means he just didn't go do a straight shot to Illyricum from Jerusalem. He hit all these areas. So he's going back and forth. If you read his epistles, you will look at the book of Acts. He's all over the place. Now that's, he, I, I, some people try to estimate how many miles he traveled in his career. It had to be at least, at least minimum 3,000 miles. At least. There was probably more. And that was pretty amazing because he went through a lot of hardship on the road. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, the, you know, in America we could just go, you know, we could drive to California and it pretty much it's pretty safe for the most part. But he had bandits to deal with. He had all kinds of t- uh, robbers. I mean, he, was, he put himself on the line. His life was on the line quite a bit. Because even though the Roman roads were well protected for the most part, or they, they, they did a good job, there still, it wasn't like it is today in the 21st century in America. It was much more dangerous to travel. So this is what Paul's talking about. So what does it tell you about the guy? Dedication. He was dedicated. He, he was sold, told, totally sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ. It shows his dedication. That he would travel all these miles for his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to serve God's people, to give the gospel out, to serve the gospel out, and then to start all these different churches, that shows you his love and devotion. That's how you know somebody. Talk is cheap. Love and devotion is not just by saying, I love you, Jesus. You love Jesus by your conduct. You show, you demonstrate that you love him. And Paul demonstrated he loved the Lord. Look at all the miles he traveled. And poor, many times, poor conditions. And robbers and, bra- and all that stuff. And he, this is the dedication of the man. So he's giving us insight in Romans fifteen nineteen about his ministry. Now, the statement, if you look, look at Romans fifteen nineteen again, or actually look at verse 18. We're coming to the end here. Look at Romans fifteen eighteen. He says, For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. How so, Paul? In the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. I have fully preached the gospel of Christ means that Paul fulfilled what he was required to do as an apostle sent by the Lord Jesus, uh, sent by the Lord Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. It doesn't mean that he hit every particular city in the Roman Empire. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, I fully, fully preached the gospel of Christ. He, as I said before, he would go to major population centers and give the gospel in those areas. Then the churches started there. They would get saved. They would develop. And then they would go out and evangelize their regions, as I described before. Church starts in Des Moines. And then from Des Moines, they would branch out and they would evangelize the rest of Iowa. So Paul's saying here, with this statement, I fully preached the gospel of Christ, He's saying to us that he fulfilled what he was required to do as an apostle sent by the Lord Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And so that's a good example uh, for, uh, the, for a pastor. Your, your, your job as a pastor is to feed, is evan- do the work of an evangelist, but also feed God's people the word of God. If you love me, Peter, Jesus said, feed my lambs. That tells you your pastor loves you. That tells you your pastor loves you. And also... His conduct? Is he sacrificed for you? Is he, is he willing to lay down his life for you? That shows you that the pastor loves you. And he has got a ministry that God has given to him that he needs to fulfill. 
Every man who communicates the word of God is there and he, he, he is to fulfill the task the Lord gave him and then the Lord will tell him what he wants to do next. And this is what Paul did. He, he fulfilled his task of proclaiming these, planting these churches and now he's telling us something. I'm ready to do something else. My ministry is going into a new phase. What we're going to find out is once he drops that gift off in Jerusalem, he gets arrested because he's falsely accused, and then he gets taken, he has to appeal before Caesar, he, he, van, he, he languishes uh, before Festus and Agrippa in a prison and for three years or so, and then he finally appeals to Caesar, and he finally gets to Rome, but as a prisoner of the Roman government. And he gets there, and then he, from there he says, he's go, as we say in this epistle, he's going to go to Spain, because he wanted to go further west and evangelize the Spaniards. That's what he wanted to do. So he's actually telling us here in this passage that he's he's telling the Romans here, I've completed the phase of my ministry. I have done everything the Lord Jesus Christ has wanted me to plant churches from Jerusalem around about as far as Illyricum. Why Illyricum? Because that's the outer extremities of the Roman Empire, the known world at that particular time. So this statement, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ, it means that he proclaimed the gospel and strategic centers throughout the area from Jerusalem as far as Illyricum, and he established churches in these areas. From these strategic centers, these churches that he had planted would evangelize their own specific regions. And I mentioned that, uh, the analogy with Paul, if he went to to Des Moines, and then I gave you that analogy earlier. So Paul, what he's doing is, he's simply laying a foundation among the Gentiles from Jerusalem all the way around as far as Illyricum. So let's say he starts the church in Corinth. Somebody else, he starts the foundation. He builds the foundation. And somebody's going to build on top of his foundation. That's what happens. Hey, that's what happens in a lot of ministries uh, today. You look at some uh, certain ministries and a pastor builds a certain foundation and then the Lord moves him on. And then he, what we have is another guy builds on that foundation that he had started. It happens all the time in Christianity. And Paul would do that. He'd start a foundation, start a church, and somebody else would build on his foundation. That's how he worked. So, this is what we see. If you look at Romans 15, 18, he says, For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ did accomplish through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. How so? In the power of signs and wonders, and the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Look at verse 20. And thus I aspired to preach the gospel. This is what we'll see tomorrow. Not where Christ was already named, known, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. And we're going to find out what that means tomorrow evening. But we've run out of time. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We thank you for those who are in the chapel. And we just pray, Father, that this message would bless them. Uh, the Holy Spirit would bless this message to their hearts. Give them understanding as to what they heard this evening. And we also pray, Father, that uh, for the people also that listened on Pal Talk this evening and will look at this class or view it or listen to it at a later date on the website would be blessed by the message. So, Father, we pray for these things in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name. Amen.